How's it going, guys? I'm Zeke. And I'm Jake. And you're listening to the Cinema Sideshow Podcast, episode 162. I just realised something, Zeke. Yes. We're fast approaching a very special number. One. Can you can you guess what the number is? <laughs> you're not going to say 169. Ah, <laughs> That's the number. That's... But that's several weeks away. <laughs> Seven, it's like le- two months away, pretty yeah, much. Yeah, I'm gonna do a little intro for every single episode leading up to 169, mm. just to like celebrate this. What it- are you? Are you 25 this year? Just yes, just, yes, yeah. I am. Which means I've got a long way before I'm 69. But that's okay. <laughs> that's okay. You too, Zeke. <laughs> We're the same age. There's another podcast. Podcast Beyond, which they've gone, they're like episode six, seven hundred. There's like that. no other podcast. There, they don't exist. It factually is no other podcast. But if there were in theory to be a podcast called Podcast Beyond, sure, they did it. like I'm not joking. They counted from like episode three hundred to three eleven because of the band three eleven. And there was every week there would just be like ten weeks left, nine weeks left, eight weeks left. That's pretty cool. They would do it, so it was interesting. But Zeke, how are you this week? Yeah, good. Um, yeah, good. Yeah, I uh, <laughs> look. I, like you, had a big party weekend and uh, yeah. was feeling a bit hazy on the Sunday. Uh, busted out an assignment with 24 hours to spare. So, nice. um, you know, that was a, just the standard sort of path of the course. It's really hot. It is very hot. In fact, the poster that's typically behind you has actually fallen off. That's how hot it is. That is pretty crazy. Right now, and I'm sweating yes. a lot of sweat. Yes. <laughs> uh, it, is, it is quite profound. Yep. Um, speaking of the heat um <laughs> yeah what about the heat zeke <laughs> the movie of the week did feature a <laughs> tropical island oh okay in this Was tropical it... humid weather okay it didn't um, look that humid in the movie but yeah but well you look, can't tell really to be fair t- to be fair there was nothing about that movie that was hot in the no. sense of well look being... nathan drake tom holland I thought he was sweating a lot because of the heat, but it was actually just because he was swimming shirtless the whole movie. But, but that's okay. Was he really? Well, no. To be fair, everyone kept talking about how shirtless he was in this film. I was surprised at how not shirtless he was. Yeah, it's like two or three scenes. It's it. Guys, relax. It's fine. Mm. Little eye candy. You know what I mean? Do you have any trivia for me? I do. So, as I talked about last week, going into this uncharted discussion, I mean, this is insane. We're about to talk about an uncharted movie that's yeah. come out that we've seen. Yes. It, that, that, that's bonkers. That made 100 million bucks. Yeah, well, that's it. The box office is uh, doing very well for its opening weekend. I think 51 million domestic. And yeah, a little over 100 million globally. So it's looking very good. Yeah. Looking like a sequel is possible. And I, to be fair, I don't think the sequel could be that much worse. <laughs> that's, that, that's what I'm going to start with. Is But my trivia fact, of course, refers to the fact that I was in primary school in 2010 when I was Googling and looking up information about this theoretical Uncharted movie, and back then, around 2010, it was meant to be directed by none other than David O. Russell, who just came off the fighter. He was going to hire Mark Wahlberg as, as Drake. He was going to get uh, De Niro in as Sully and Joe Pesci in as some sort of uncle. I remember it being really weird. And now looking back, it's even more weird, knowing especially who Joe Pesci is. <laughs> At this age in my life, I was, what, 12, 13? When yeah. I was, that that long ago, but since then, the film's been reshuffled a lot. They've gone through many other directors, uh, including Neil Berger, Seth Gordon, Sean Levy, Dan Fatchenberg, who actually made a Portal short film a while ago, and of course, the brilliant 10 Cloverfield Lane, never forget. And then finally, Travis Knight, and then Sony's trusty Ruben Fleischer, who finally directed this film. So that's a lot of directors who've were pinned to direct the film. Yeah. That just 
didn't. <laughs> it's quite a cursed film. It was very cursed. Developmental hell, as they say. But Zeke, what is your trivia fact for Uncharted? Yeah, well, this one's an interesting one. It kind of comes with a, a fact, but also a proposition, oh, I'd say, proposition. Um, centering around Tom Holland's Nathan Drake. Okay. Um, I imagine, like you just mentioned, Mark Wahlberg, many a years ago, yes. was the original build for Nathan Drake, and I'm sure there have been plenty of reiterations of who should play that. Uh, yeah, I know particular. Chris Pratt was offered and declined at one point, which I'm very interested. And of course, Nathan Fillion actually did go on to do the short film, mm-hmm. fan-made short film a few years ago. He's been the, the number one fans would die to see him do the yes, role. Yes, and I think a little unfortunately due to Fillion's age, that was never going to happen sure. realistically. It could have 10 years ago. It could have, maybe. Yeah. Um, this is an interesting one. Um, so, obviously, after they'd confirmed Tom Holland to take on this role, Zachary mm. Levi actually wanted to play the role of Nathan Drake if Tom oh. Holland didn't work out. Okay. Jake, obviously, Zachary Levi, many years ago, we did Shazam on the show in episode uh, Gosh, that, yeah. 12. That was I nearly three was. years ago, Zeke. Um, <laughs> oh, my goodness. But, obviously, he got quite buff for that role, was playing a comedic yep. sort of uh, adventurer type could you see Zachary Levi take on the role? I don't think that's a bad choice, especially if you he gets the build, you know, the haircut. Um, I can, I guess, I could see it. Yeah, I think you know, I haven't seen him in much to be honest. Like, I my go to is to think of Shazam, and that mm-hmm. is kind of a different role. It's a little bit more childlike. Which, if you're gonna do Nathan Drake at like adult age, not as like a child, mm-hmm. then like he can't be childlike in the sense that it's a child inhabiting an adult's body mm-hmm. in Shazam. Um, but in terms of like a playfulness and a flirtiness and, and sort of the smart arsery that Nathan mm. Drake should have, I, I don't think it's a bad idea. I wouldn't have minded. No worries. Well, Jake, this film is obviously not on the 1100 films to watch before you no, die. The poster's not up either. It gave up. <laughs> it's like, we don't want this film in our poster. <laughs> it's got to be a flat no, isn't it? No, oh, God, no. And that's a shame, because I would a thousand percent put Uncharted, the game series, in my top ten video games you should play of all time. So, it's a shame that doesn't even make 1,100 well, movies. <laughs> we can touch on why it wouldn't make that a little later in the show. Sure, but until yeah. then, Jake, what have you caught in the last week? So, I didn't catch a lot. I'll give a shout-out before I go into the main thing. So, we have fun games in our Discord chat. Me and a few friends of mine, we are... Uh, I, you know, I said this. I'm like, we're very easily entertained. Mm-hmm. And their response is, Jake, I think this is the exact opposite of being easily entertained. That we had to go to this extent to entertain ourselves. We watched the 1997 film Mouse Hunt in reverse. So we found it on YouTube. Someone uploaded the film for free in reverse. It starts at the credits. The soundtrack is like... That's what it sounds like the entire movie. It's about 97 minutes, I think. Including the credits, we just watched the whole thing backwards. <laughs> Would you recommend people to listen to this podcast backwards? I don't I don't actually know what to say. <laughs> 162 episodes. You have left me speechless for the first time. Yeah, look, I think <laughs> we commented that it, it, it certainly looked interesting. It looked like a French New Way film. If you just put a black and white filter over it. Because some of the some of the shots there, there are some cinematic shots in Mouse Hunt, believe it or not. And what I love is that spoiler alert. Actually, a really a, fun film. Yeah, oh, it's great. I love it. It's classic from my our childhood. I imagine mm-hmm. both of us. And the scene at the end when the house collapses is so perfect in reverse. 
because you, all you see is Nathan Lane raise his arms up and then the house behind him builds itself back into existence and it's some avant-garde <laughs> new wave French wave shit. Yeah. It's so good. It's yeah. <laughs> uh, something. It is something. I just had to shout that out because I thought that was frankly hilarious. And mm-hmm. do, do you think, Zeke, that that is a sign of us being easily entertained or the very opposite of being easily entertained? <laughs> I'd probably say, yeah, we'll go with easily, easily entertaining. Okay, thank you. Yeah. yeah. yeah no worries. But I, I get the argument as well. <laughs> Did you see... I have one big thing, but I, you can go first if you want. Yeah, it's cool. I'll just run through mine this week. Sure. Um, so I actually completed the... You know, I have brought up the Untold documentary, sports documentary series on... Uh, That's um, right. Which is a collection yeah. of currently five feature-length documentaries about different athletes and different stories. Mm. Um they range anywhere from like corrupt mobsters to um, uh, career-ending injuries to infamous uh, brawls, and even uh, in one case, for one of them, uh, a toxic relationship leading to a attempted murder. Oh, um, which was that's one a of, good one. That's uh, Untold's <laughs> Deal with the Devil, uh, which was actually really quite entertaining. It's probably. My favourite one is still Crime and Penalties, which is the one centred around the mobster hockey team. Um, yep, that's right. But, that was insane. That was absolutely oh, insane. Oh, so good. Yeah. Um, and I also watched Malice at the Palace, which centres around a me- a basketball melee that actually ends up with basketballers uh, uh, assaulting members of the crowd. Um, <laughs> oh, my God. But obviously because the crowd actually provokes them first. So, sure, yeah. Um, quite interesting. Um Obviously, if you're a big fan of sport, all five of these are actually very entertaining for a very like a collection of different reasons. I do think the best one is is crime and penalties, just because it's got that fire esque charm there that you just yeah never just seen coming. so wacky yeah. Um, but I would say that deal with the devil would probably be a strong second. So both would recommend those. I would not recommend uh, Taylor Sheridan's film that just dropped on both binge and Netflix in the last week. Uh, those who wish me dead. Mm, um, yes. Obviously, this is 2021 release, written and directed by him. Yeah, look, not not got a lot of good things to say about this one. It's weirdly oh, paced. Uh, I guess the performances are as good as they can be, but it's honestly his most confusing script I think I've ever. That's a shame. Consumed. I just think there's just too much going on. Maybe, um, maybe I definitely think there the ensemble so big and everyone has important storylines it definitely is conf- like quite convoluted and confusing i think mm. i think angelina jolie's character in herself could just be the important character with a clear arc but a lot of them don't actually have very uh strong character arcs so it's a lot of weaker ones that all kind of conflict with each other too so mm. um not a lot to say about that but they're the three things i caught in the last week i've okay. been continuing my succession run halfway through season nice one. well done well done I'm proud of you yeah well like i was saying you off the show there's sort of that that princess carolyn 40th birthday beat in season one about midway through that's like oh here we go like wow okay this is yeah. it. this is the show so i'm really excited for you to hit that point very soon i imagine um and yeah speaking of shows that you can find on binge i finally caught euphoria the second season um, so episode seven came out today. So when the last week I was able to watch one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, mm. the season finale comes out next week. I probably, you know, I, I doubt I would have anything. To, I'm, I'm going to talk about the show in a more general sense. 
um, because it was episode 108. It was actually when we did Malcolm and Marie, ironically, Ooh, is when go. I first watched Euphoria. And I liked it quite a bit. I remember having a, a small sense of I'm a little too old for this in terms of like the high school drama of it all. But it's it's absolutely brilliantly made, just the way they used the camera and the lighting and, and just everything about it felt much, very, a lot like a music video in terms of like the expressionism that comes out of it. And I remember quoting, well, quoting, citing, uh, kidding, which uh, I think, I didn't know it at the time, but like they've ended it season two. They essentially cancelled it, mm-hmm. uh, which is a shame because that is a brilliant show with, with Jim Carrey. And, and it also has a very similar energy and expressionist um, direction and cinematography and all that. And, that was the one thing I took away from Euphoria of like, wow, this is really fantastic. Um, and I love all the stuff with Rue and Jules, you know, those sort of the main characters. Um, and then you got the other surrounding characters that, especially this season, sort of the, like the Mean Girls, if you would call them. Mm-hmm. I mean, this season, it's a lot of their arcs and I'm finding a falling flat specifically. I still think Rue, especially, um, Zendaya, who of course won the Emmy for the first season and after one of more, one of the more recent episodes, holy crap, she's going to get a second Emmy easily for this season. Um, she's fantastic. Her arc is fantastic. I love it. It feels the most... Um, I don't know. It's just the most interesting in terms of her uh, being, being in high school but having an authentic drug addiction mm-hmm. and how that affects the relationship with her family and her friends and, of course, Jules, who she's seeing. And I think that stuff's all absolutely brilliant. I do have a problem, and I know this has been a big thing with the, I guess, the online Euphoria community or you know TV community, whatever you want to call them. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people have found this too, especially a lot of claims being thrown at Sam Levinson about sort of the use of excessive nudity in the show, especially because all the characters are meant to be 17 and underage. And, and I usually don't... I'm usually pretty okay to like look through things like that. You know, sex, violence, drugs, all of that. It's like, look, as long as it serves the story... Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that it doesn't serve the story, but I'm finding it stupidly excessive, mm-hmm. like uncomfortably excessive in this show. And then, you know, I hear things about actresses coming out and talking about not not necessarily that they don't, not necessarily that they're uncomfortable doing it, but like every now and then they would have to put their foot down and limit it. And I'm watching the show being like, there was meant to be more of this. <laughs> and you had to have the actors like stand up and, and be like, no, like it's not necessary in this scene or that scene. Um, so in terms of a collaborative art form, that's um, that's great that that conversation is being had and mm-hmm. the director's listening. Um, but I'm still finding it really excessive to the point where it's like, I just I, distracting. It, yeah. Well, what was you? We were talking about this off the show, and you said something that perfectly uh, encapsulated early, earlier it. seasons of Game of Thrones. I think. Uh, sure. Well, well, the oh, idea oh, that it for... didn't feel like it was for the artistry of it. Oh, so it was more like exploitative. Well, yeah, I feel like I think the way you phrased it, I remember was is that it just it didn't feel like it was being done for the right reasons or oh, I, I would definitely say Game of Thrones falls into that um, category. Okay. I, yeah. I would I brought up Westworld's first season had uh, a lot of excessive nudity, but because of the context, it wasn't um, in a sexualized manner or excessive or mm. um, and in in later seasons it gets removed because it's motivated so it, it never felt distasteful by any okay. st- stretch but i can definitely say there were, there have been times um in shows that i've been like ah why why is this just here for the sake of it being here like some of films even do it that when they like they'll have an intimate scene and they'll like 
put nudity in there for solely because they can rather than it having any sort of potency or, or, or so I definitely think there's a fine line. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I will say to the show's credit as well, was like, first off, and, and people have talked about this, there are just as many penises <laughs> in this show. So it's not like we're secluding specifically the women actors and making yeah, them undress well, and everything. I, I, I'm just, it's sort of like one of those things that it's like the necessity. Um, yes. Yeah. For example, I mean, you know, the last couple of weeks we've been doing Jane Campion films and yes. the way that it hand, both the piano and power of the dog sort of tackle the, the concept of nudity. It's totally based on, historical context and just reality rather than and it never feels like it overstays its well or it's unnecessary or it's um overly excessive yeah well, of... with the piano and, and and we're not really getting into spoilers too much with the piano but like we talked about sort of the visual language of you know someone in this time period it was what the 1800s 1700s mm-hmm. 1800s. yeah so it's a period piece and it was part of the story and like the visual progression of the story and how you know the protagonist will slowly be unclothed throughout the film mm-hmm. by the time we get you know to her nude body that it is at the point in the story where she is vulnerable not to mention due to the you know we talked about it due to the historical context of the time the clunkiness of her outfit and yeah how that scene is is not um super romantic like it's romantic but it's not like Hollywood conventional romantic. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's more um, sort of like you said, like it's an explosive scene of passion and intimacy. Yeah, and I think that's sort of what marks that different from something like Euphoria, which again, I'm usually not like bothered by this, but I, mm-hmm. I was like, this is just excessive and, and crazy. And, the, and I think the reason I noticed it, because I said, I reckon there's a scene very early in season two where there's a bunch of characters in, in a very sort of dangerous situation. And, you know, this is sort of this crazy drug dealer guy who's like, all right, you know, everyone's wearing a wire. I want you all to strip. So he he gets all the characters to strip. And can you have a guess which character doesn't strip nude? Zendaya's character. Mm. And I'm like, why? And I'm not saying like, oh, you know, if she's not naked, no one else can be naked. I'm just saying like, I watch that scene and I'm like, okay, the director, and this is, I'm not saying this is true at all. This is just where my brain goes. The director obviously has a very special relationship with Zendaya. I said this back in episode 108. It feels yeah. like they have a very special relationship and they wanted to do Malcolm and Marie. Obviously, the Euphoria specials are a bit more centered around her character and Jules's as well. But my thinking when I see that scene is, well, they're not going to make her nude because she's Zendaya. You know, she's the star. It almost makes every other person who's stripping naked in the scene feel not as valued as a person or as a character. Yeah, it's, you know, and it comes back to one of those things that it's that sort of, A, it's that discussion ahead of time, and it's also like um, having that, you know, we never try, particularly, you know, as a director, you don't ever want to show overt favouritism to mm. one particular star and, you know, that something like that might, you know, incur that. Yeah, might, I can't, when I watch that scene, I can't help but think that. Or you're implying that that character has more of like a purity than any of the other characters, even though the other characters is, is a lot more high school high school love drama. While Rue, it's a lot more specific about drug addiction. So it's like, well, what are you saying about that? Mm-hmm. You know, I, I don't know. I just, I mean, there's some very not careful decisions being made sure. from time to time. I still think it's a brilliantly well made show. I love the way like the first episode, for example 
a lot of it's in a house party and just the way they play with lights and the camera movement sort of simulate those those big white flashes. So you'd still recommend it? I still think it's wonderfully made, Mm -hmm. but I fought those things and then I'm seeing tons and tons and tons of Discord online about it and I'm like, I do get it. Mm -hmm. I do get it. Um, It reminds me, I joke to you, it reminds me of um, Flip in BoJack when he directed his sort of grungy male fantasy TV show um, in season five, I want to say. that It reminded me a lot of that. It's like, this mm-hmm. just feels like... <laughs> yeah. It was a little like Sam Levinson. Just a, just a little bit. But yeah, I think it's excellently well made. But, you know, for for me to be thinking these things while actively watching the show, it's pretty bad. Because I'm sure. usually pretty forgiving about that stuff. But um, we'll see. We'll see. Well, the only other thing I caught in the week was I watched a Netflix series on how, that, how to become a tyrant. Um, How to become a tyrant got dropped about a year ago. Mm. It's narrated by Peter Dinklage from oh, nice. obviously Game of Thrones. Um, basically, it was just a collection of different dictators over history and how they rose to power. Nice little history lesson. <laughs> I actually enjoyed it. Um, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I completely forgot about watching it because they're like seven or eight twenty-minute episodes, and they've got it on Letterbox. I was like, cool, I'll log that. There you go. Yeah. Um, oh, that's true. Once um, Euphoria finishes next week, I can log it on Serialized. Look at that. There you go. Well, um, normally we move into the career section. I don't think you have anything for career section. Any no. award stuff we should tap on or are we... No, no. It's all the same as last week. I finally... I did print off. I'll I show you. I did notice you. it. Yes. Yeah. The Oscar ballot. I printed it in paper. So I was Gee, able to tick off power of the dog, power of the dog, power of the dog, power of the dog. So I ticked that off last week. That's a lot of ticks. That is a lot of ticks. 12, 12 ticks. 12, yeah, exactly. <laughs> So next up, I think in terms of getting the most, because obviously it's it's broken down by category and five, but it's like you know if I watch, if I obviously you know we watch the Power of the Dogs, like, all right, well let's tick off those twelve nominations, those sure. twelve boxes that we're ticking off. I mean the next one is probably Belfast, which I'm I think Zeke, I think you called it. It's out it's out of Luna. I need to figure out how to watch that now. Uh, I think the Perth Art Festival is going to run ah, it. Ah, very um. good. Along with Come On, Come On at some point. Oh, perfect. As well as uh, Worst Person in the World. So No, oh, there you go. Yeah, well, Worst Person in the World. To be fair, that's been out a little longer, but you should try and catch that mm-hmm. before it's gone, gone. Yes. Although it'll probably be on Prime. Something dropped on Prime this past week that I didn't mention. I'll talk about it at the end of the show, but I was pretty shocked. I was like, whoa, that's already on Prime. Yeah. Like, wow. Okay, but we'll get into it. Yeah, um, we'll talk about Oscar news. I don't know. Coming um, weeks. Um, yeah, in the coming weeks, in a month from now, who knows? No we'll dramas. See. Well, it is indeed time to move into our film of the week. But Jake, what are we watching? This week on the show, Zeke, we're watching Uncharted. Five hundred years ago, my family found the world's biggest fortune, then was betrayed. People have been searching for it all in vain. Both you turn your keys clockwise at the same time. Thanks a lot. You almost got me killed. Clockwise, Sully? Well, it was 50-50, so I made a guess. Clearly. But the footage was not just about gold. It was something much more valuable. This girl has a very tragic history. So much blood. I'm pretty sure he just threatened to kill me. Oh, this is gonna suck! Don't get caught. You were just gonna leave me back there. Somebody had to get the cross. 
A young, street-smart Nathan Drake and his wise-cracking partner, Victor Sully Sullivan, embark on a dangerous pursuit of the greatest Trevor treasure never found, while also tracking clues that may lead to Nathan's long-lost brother. I'm just seeing if there's anyone in the cast named Trevor. Pay off, a, pay off your little slip there. Mm. I don't think so. I'm sorry. There is no Trevor. You, you done goofed it. You done goofed it. How well, this you? movie done goofed it. <laughs> so, before we jump into this lovely this lovely piece of cinema. Yes. Um, Jake, I've never played any Uncharted games. Mm. I've only let's watched Uncharted 4 back in the day when it got released by mm. Let's Play. Rooster Teeth company. Um, and I don't watch any Rooster Teeth anymore. Um, no? No, out, God. Out they've long, long since not watched them. They've got a little too uh, internet-centred for me. Um, ah, Started to play to the lowest common the old lowest common denominator. Yeah. Can't forget about them, Zeke. Need to appeal to them. Yeah. Um, but back in, yeah, did enjoy Let's Watch This. Never played, this is probably the one franchise, because I was an Xbox boy. Yes. I really feel like I missed out on. I don't, like, I I like the whole Last of Us stuff, but this is the one that I was like, man, I really wish I got a PS3 and a PS4, because I'm a big, I love my action-adventure games and or movies. Hmm. So I came into this with low expectations, because it did look shit. (laughs) <laughs> um, to put it bluntly but you know it, yeah did it, a, did it meet those expectations at least it those, didn't yeah it those did. low Honestly. expectations okay but you know, we can jump into it but Jake you have you, like you said at the start of the show you grew up with these games I literally did I still remember it was 2010 maybe around July August I could probably find out it'll all be on the PS3 data I still have it somewhere I have a PS5 under my leg now which is good, because you can technically play every Uncharted game, except Golden Abyss, on a PS5 now. Through either Backwards Compat or the remasters. Which one's Golden Abyss? Uh, it's a PS Vita port okay. done by Sony Ben. It's very good. Mm. Some like it better than Drake's Fortune, which is fair enough. But okay. it did all like the touchscreen gimmicky stuff. and sure. There were rumors of them porting them to a console, and they never did it. But um, it is pretty secluded from Uncharted 1, 2, 3, 4, specifically. Mm. It's sort of like a point fiver. Yeah, it's it is a prequel to everything. So, like in terms of narrative, it probably should have applied to Golden Abyss more than anything else, uh, let alone Uncharted One or Four, which is evidently what they mm. inspired it on. Very interesting choice there. But yeah, I'm a huge, huge mega fan of these games. Like I said back in 2010, I rented Drake's Fortune from a blockbuster. This is how far we're going back here, and I fell in love with it. And I think the thing that really spoke to me immediately was just one of the line deliveries from Mr. Nathan Drake. Actual Nathan Drake. Nolan North, who's mm. also in this film. We'll talk about that soon. But one of the line deliveries when he just says, oh, shit. And, like, my family behind the couch, not paying attention to the game, just started laughing. And it was like, that was the first clue to me. of Like, okay, like, this, this can be something that's watchable, mm-hmm. that's engaging for those who aren't holding the controller. Mm. And Uncharted 2, of course, went on to be probably, I would argue, one of the most influential video games of its time. Of course, we're talking about 2009 Mm. here when it came out, and then I, of course, played it the next year. But it really did change how third-person adventure games were looked at, how narrative in games were looked at, along with The Last of Us, also done by Naughty Dog. Um, These are very influential games, not just to me, 
as I grew up with them, but to the entire gaming landscape and industry. No, I 100% agree. I think the only other franchise that had that sort of effect um, off the top of my head that was sort of in the same vein of, of not being... Uh, which was still on a, a rail, like it's still on rails. Okay, yeah. Like, but the fact that you can just sit down and sort of watch it, because I 100% agree, like watching the fourth game play out and not even touching a controller and just watching you know, two or three guys talking while the game's playing. Yeah. I still followed the story cohesively. I still enjoyed it. Yep. Um, enjoyed their commentary, but I could still buy in isolation watch that. The only other game that springs to mind is probably the first two Assassin's Creed games. Interesting, um, yeah. Particularly the second one, where it's like... Well, those came out respectively in the same year, mm. 2007-2009, as Uncharted 1 and 2. There you go. And those, and those are sort of games that, particularly, obviously, being the younger brother... I didn't get to play until a little bit older, uh, but got to watch. And so as a, as a bystander watching my older brother play, I was like, wow, these are really fun and entertaining. And, and I, I definitely can probably concur with that, that it really sort of changed the game with the, like storytelling because they, they were just such fun games. So yeah. the idea of wanting to make this into a movie or even another form of, of multimedia... Yes. I could 100% see why this was as early in the works as, you know, when you're 12, when I was 12, you know, yep. 12 years ago. It's like, I can 100% see why people were like, yeah, we're 100% going to make this into a movie. Could have even worked as a show, especially in our modern serialized yeah, yeah. format. Well, in all fairness, they're doing The Last of Us HBO. That's going to be a full series. So, I think that premieres next year, but that's looking a lot more faithful to the mm. original. Obviously, the casting's a little little different but i can this is the thing i want to stress before we get into this i don't mind them changing the cast a little bit like oh, okay this character is hispanic instead of the instead of like a texas you know for example which is some of the things they're doing over the last of us i don't mind that i don't care mm-hmm. all right and especially because a lot of like neil Druckmann's involved i think he directed an episode sure they're a little annoyed at how involved he is apparently in this movie it really should have been amy hennig who got involved but that's a whole other story mm. there um, in terms of ownership and who created the series and everything. But um, the difference between what they're doing there and what they're doing here is, I think, drastic. And it all comes back to tone and aesthetic. And I don't think they just completely screwed up the casting for a lot of... A couple of... Like, okay, fair enough. Like, Sophia Ali is Chloe. Visually, I mean, that makes sense. Cool. Mm-hmm. Antonio Banderas is just uncharted villain, in quotation marks. That makes sense. Yeah. That's great. He's a conventional action-adventure villain. Yeah, well, exactly. Well, even, um, like, you look at some of the, the villains in the Uncharted series, and, yeah, a lot of them are sort of, uh, you know, these foreigners that come in, and, and yeah. you know, in the case of Antonio Banderas, thinks the treasure belongs to his family. Mm-hmm. And then you've got other stories of, you know, like, military people coming in wanting it, or just, like, rich people coming in wanting it. Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. But it makes sense from an archetypal standpoint, and that's a word we're going to use a lot this week, archetypal, he makes sense as generic Uncharted villain. But what I think... I This is it. I went in with pretty low expectations, just like you, knowing that we're going to butcher the source material one way or mm. another. And I was, at my, I was actually let down even so. Yeah. They actually screwed up things I didn't think they would screw up in this film. And I, I think that... I, and I, I always emphasize this, is, is like, although it's really great to have adaptations, multimodal texts and stuff, and... To even appreciate video games to the point where you, you know you want to push them to an even wider mainstream audience, and this getting a hundred million in its opening week is is proving that. Mm. Um, however, 
this movie on its own as an action adventure film yes. is not a good film. It fails pretty much on every shot from a movie genre convention. It fails. It betrayed like it's characters are contradictory. The, the plot is contrived. It has a really poor pacing issue where mm. it, um, and it's trying to do way too much. Um, it doesn't, it, it almost, it, it tries to uh, multiple times, sort of just jump to passive progressivism for the only reason other than just trying to please as many piss off the least amount of people to the point where it's like Banderas's character is absolutely pointless mm-hmm. and wasted and um in exchange for um you know I'm going to get a name up uh, uh for Tati, Tati Gabrielle's Gabriel, character Joe Braddock's character which yep. she is just a, an amalgamation I believe of a cat and Nadine in the fourth game but that's the vibe i got she's not meant to be nadine specifically but the iconography they go to an auction house she's there dressed up you know nice for it and then she's got the military mm. outfit later that's the be- that's the easiest one-to-one comparison you can make is yeah nadine. even though her, her character is is confusing I, I think particularly plot pacing and i i'm really going to actively compare it to you know films that stand out that are impressive and if you want to go for the campy nature i'm okay for that but you know you look at the national treasure movies and their campiness is there but they respect the treasure hunt aspect Mm. whereas this film inadvertently doesn't it um and then it's like okay well if it doesn't respect the problem solving mystery side maybe it'll pick it up in the action choreography department it goes for more john wick aesthetic but it fails on that front too because it's set pieces and it's editing is is back to that stock standard, like, none of these people really know how to fight, so we're going to have to just cut around it, or we're just going to make them do absurd Rubber Man-esque um, <laughs> things, which Tom Holland might as well not be called Nathan Drake, he might as well be called Rubber Man, because he's more rubbery in this than he is as Spider-Man. Right. Um, except <laughs> in Spider-Man, at least he's a superhero. Yep. Whereas and in he this, he's just a person, yeah. and it gets to points of absurdity where I just, like, I, I don't buy it for a second. Yeah. Not to mention, I, I think these are probably the the poorest performance I've ever seen from him and one of the poorest from Mark Wahlberg, which, frankly, as a guy who's been in the film industry for over th- nearly three decades, it's just not good enough anymore. In my right. like, well, the fact of the matter is Tom Holland's playing Tom Holland. Mark Wahlberg is playing Mark Wahlberg. They're not even... I feel like Tom Holland, to to an extent, is trying to play Nathan Drake, but he's taking, I think, the wrong attributes away from yeah. what a young Nathan Drake would be. You you look at... And again, this is, goes back to the archetypal thing that Nathan Drake is in the first game. And as producers of this film, they should have been looking at the first game. Because what yeah. is the first game? It's archetypes that Amy Hammond helped form, and then over the next several games, they develop into more well-rounded characters... But, of course, they're taking plot beats from the fourth game. They're taking set pieces from the third game. They're taking the themes of the second game, which I think is a huge mistake to start with. We'll get into that in a minute. But it just becomes this mix-match of all the elements of Uncharted that just don't make sense together. Yeah. So you've got someone like Tom Holland, who, yes, he's played Spider-Man. He sort of has that immature innocence, sweetness to him as Spider-Man. But he's looking at Nathan Drake, the archetype. Oh, he's, he's a bit of a, a cocky smartass, and he's confident, but he's intelligible, with especially 
history. Yeah, but he takes all those. Young Nathan Drake too is playing a very young Nathan Drake. Well, the problem is he takes all those aspects and he sort of turns the age down on them, which just ends up turning into his Spider-Man performance. Mm. When he apologizes to the villain that he just kicked off the plane, he's like, oh my god, I'm so sorry. It's like that's that's Spider-Man. Yeah. That's a Spider-Man line. I think the biggest one for me, and and like I I always say this, is like you've got to take it in isolation, but. This is where you can't take it in isolation is with your casting. And that's because uh, an apt comparison, a contemporary comparison is you take Henry Cavill's Witcher, a okay. guy that is adores the Witcher books and yes. video games. And even, you know, obviously it got cancelled, but, you know, you take... Um, Did the Witcher get cancelled? No, not the Witcher, sorry. Oh, okay. I, was about to, I was about to say... Um, you know the the cast of Cowboy Bebop's live adaptation. Ah, oh, right, yep, yep. All of that I'm glad you cast that today. were, you know, they obviously didn't get renewed for season two, and that's a shame. But they went into that, and they loved the original source material to the point yep. where they were uh, religious in its very short runtime too. The the animated show only ran for twenty four episodes, yet it developed such a cult following that these they wanted they stuck their hand up for it and. They were willing to learn the nuances of those characters in a live adaptation format yeah. and adhere to that. And the same thing happens with Cavill. Cavill's Witcher is... Uh, look, I, I look, I am not a Sue... I haven't played much of the video games, but f- I, from what I remember watching on it and all that stuff, it's spot on. And anyone who's mm. played the video games and then watched the show, it's like, yeah, look, they're a bit frustrating, with the, but the serialized format works. And then their lo- his a- affirmation for the character and wanting to get that right is spot on mm. and it's like you brought up uh before the show the two interviewing together and them thinking that they are brothers right tom holland mark Warburg, sort of referring to themselves as, oh i've never played the older brother before or the younger brother before it's like you're not meant to be playing brothers you're playing a mentor <laughs> mentee role and it's like you know that's they're honestly they're, they're playing more a dynamic akin to sean connery and harrison ford in the third indiana jones film right that back and forth and it's like you know you don't even have to you don't even have to play any of the video games you watch one of them like i did and yeah. i could tell you that yeah. you know it's like that's a hundred percent their dynamic even the fourth one when they you know nathan is way more experienced on the verge of retiring yeah. they still have the exact same dynamic that's it and it's a dynamic that's so playful and fun and i remember reading this letterbox review this is before the movie came out so obviously they posted it beforehand but they were like I can't imagine Tom Holland complimenting Mark Warburg's ass. And it's like, that's the type of banter they would have in the games where it's like, oh, nice ass, Sully, how are you going? And then it's very playful and light, but it's loving. You know, it's a father-son mm-hmm. dynamic, and especially because... Yeah, because whenever Nate steps out of line, Sully does pull that father card sometimes. Yeah, which is very rare, but it happens. Mm. And until then, it's a very soft dynamic. But then you watch this film, and I get it sort of the origin, and they're meant to be meeting for the first time, but it's like... First off, we've seen that too. The games do their their meet, you know, when mm-hmm. he when Drake's, I think fifteen and Sully would be, I guess, forty at this point. There meant to be a twenty five year age gap between them, um, which I <laughs> watching this film, you wouldn't think that there's a twenty five year no. age gap. I mean, credit to Mark Wahlberg, he's clearly body is temple because for a guy in his fifties, he looks really oh, good. He looks incredible. But that just adds to his miscasting. It's like... Yeah, well, you don't think of Sully as, like, jacked. <laughs> He's capable, yeah. and he can do the things that Nathan does a bit slower. He can climb and shoot and, and all of that, and he's got the wise-ass sort of mouth as well. Yeah. But the dynamic's completely lost in this film because they're, they're just too mean to each other. 
and there's not a, there's not a there's not a smartness to it when when yeah. he when he shows up at the bar he's like, hey I have a job for you kid which on its own is is just so silly the scene is just it's like I love you know the scene has so many like laughable scenes like that because he's like yeah there's this six billion dollar treasure and it's like his like Holland's bartender companions just there polishing a glass and she's hearing <laughs> this whole conversation play out. And he, he leaves just, a business card behind. Yeah. <laughs> like, what? It's like, he's openly admitting to his, like, crimes yeah. as a person. And it's like that. And then when they rock up to the auction and there's just... What's his name in the, the, the limo driver or whoever? Oh, yeah, there's a limo driver there. It's like, where did he come from? And he's <laughs> Why did I have like, a limo casu- driver? He's casually letting them steal this multi-million dollar cross. And he's just casually there, willing to put himself clearly in harm's way. Doesn't say anything. And they're like, drive Nick or whatever his name is. Like, <laughs> Get like, out of here, Nick. Or Patrick, whatever You know, his it's name like, was. at least in like Indiana Jones, what? whenever there's like a random Joe character, like in the opening one where he steals the golden thing and he gets in the... It's clear they have that's this a, previous Alfred business. Molina as well. Yeah, it's a previous yeah. business relationship. Like, yeah, well, exactly. He knew, like that pilot knew what he was getting himself into. Like, maybe not to the extent where a bunch of native tribesmen are going to be throwing like darts and stuff at him but like <laughs> he knew that he was in the amazon jungle and whatever like well, it's... sure and then in this film they don't address the fact that these have a random limo driver it's like is he in the game is he not is he a random limo driver was he paid to stay there like you don't need to answer every question yeah. but when we're sitting there laughing like who's this guy yeah and it becomes distracting and and again like when he meets him at the bar tom holland's like well we're closed so leave it's like oh that's witty that's a smart. That's yeah. a smart comment. Or, or especially, there's two other examples I want to bring up real quick. And again, I'm, I'm not. I'm trying not to allude to the fact that I'm like, oh, character not exactly like character mm. in my thing. Well, uh, it goes way deeper. But than we're that. we're 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 very clearly highlighting this is a problem with the film in isolation. Exactly. The fact that exactly. I don't know these characters like you know them, and even I was sitting there going, this is so stupid. Like, yeah. I, how am I supposed to like any of these characters? The fact that. I'm aptly going like you know I don't even have to compare it to the like the Ivy League adventure stuff with Spiel- like I know I'm not going to get a Spielberg Indiana Jones like I know sure. I'm not going to get that but the fact that I can I can outwardly say the National Treasure movies that do have absurd campiness but are cohesive likable characters yep. that have clear distinct arcs I mean Christ I'm putting a Nicolas Cage movie in an Ivy League <laughs> like you know it's like that like that's my comparison for that is yeah. a significantly better action adventure film and it's i could even say i can and i don't even like multiple of the da vinci code films but the first one definitely way better than this like mm. way better than this well what i'm trying to demonstrate with these one to one comparisons is you know i played the games and i fell in love with these characters and there's a very there's a specificity to their dynamic which is why i like them and when you look at this film Example, when he's like, oh, uh, turn it clockwise. They turn the keys and it shoots spikes at them. And they get angry at each other. Like, Sully, what was that? Oh, well, I took a guess. You know, you almost got me killed, kid. I took a guess. Even though it's clearly his own fault mm. that he only got shot because he just made a guess. And then he's just constantly blaming Tom Holland. It's like, that. how does that make you a likable character? But it's their whole dynamic. It's all three of them, I think. It's not just like the Wahlberg, Hollander. It's Sophie Alley's yeah. character. Chloe... They that first interaction between all three of them, where she runs away and they have one of the most lukewarm running chase sequences. <laughs> like, I'm sorry, but like you can compare that to like 
the Tom Cruise Mission Impossible chase scenes, like that one yeah. in where he you know ended up what was it? He broke, broke, his, he broke leg. his leg, yeah. And you like look at that scene. It doesn't even have like the like if you're doing the action stuff, it's like you that's you're competing with that level on that side. And it's like okay, well we're not going to do that as much, but we're going to do the 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 adventure mystery exploring side. It's like okay, well then you're competing with things like National Treasure, Da Vinci Code, these ones that are more about the intellect and less about the the set pieces. But it doesn't even... It can't compete in either because that, that scene finished... It, they, the most dramatic part of that scene is he falls in a fountain yeah, and then gets back <laughs> and up. And guess and what? Ke- now he's got a wet shirt. <laughs> yeah, and it's like, oh, wow, that was so intense, you know? It's like I could watch Point Break. It was like a 92 yeah. film well, and be more compelled in the action chase sequences of that. It's it's just silly because it's like this is our introduction yet yeah, to Chloe who you know again we can remove our context from the games but it's like this is where they went wrong with the thematics of it. Mm. So the first shot, I actually like the first shot in this film even though I think it's fundamentally flawed in terms of telling mm-hmm. the origin story of Nathan Drake. The shot where we're seeing sort of the skyline, the ring is sort of floating into frame and we pan on Tom Holland. That that is an ode to the opening of Uncharted 2, which is one of the greatest openings. Mm-hmm. And J.J. Abrams said the exact same thing, one of the greatest openings ever mm-hmm. of any piece of fiction or media that you can think of. Just the ode to that confusion of, all right, smack bang, in media res, we're in this journey, and in the game he's dangling off the train, Here he is dangling off a plane. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, In isolation, I like that, but it points to two problems. Number one... And this goes back to Indiana Jones, where you're talking about him running to the plains, getting chased by the, the native tribe, and that. That is the first scene in Indiana Jones, is he's adventuring, he's exploring the danger in his life, but the excitement of it. Mm-hmm. Scene number two is then him as a professor teaching the students. Living that duality life. Exactly. But because they put it in that order, we know that the, the teaching is like the daylighting thing. Mm-hmm. It, that That's the backup. That's not what he's really into. He's an explorer who daylights as a teacher. Mm-hmm. And by flipping it in this film, where we see him as a guy dangling off a plane and doing these insane acrobats in the middle of the air, and then we see him doing the flair bartending stuff, it gives the same impression. And Nathan Drake, as a character, is meant to be a relatable everyman who just winds up in these crazy scenarios. Mm-hmm. And when you watch the film, watch when you play the first Uncharted, it doesn't start in media res. It starts with him and Elena sort of bantering as he's opening up the grave yeah. to Sir Francis Jake. And then the rest of the game, there's nothing like that crazy in terms of a set piece. They build to it slowly. Yeah. So we know the character and then we see the set piece. And I like that opening shot, but by starting with that, you're implying the wrong aspects of Nathan Drake from the get-go. And the whole film ends up being about the uh, sort of the, the backstabbing, mm-hmm. no honor among thieves sort of thing of it and how we have the villains are backstabbing each other obviously drake and sully are sort of not completely trusting each other especially with chloe in the mix and it all becomes this big triangle and that is ripping the themes from the second game you can't do that yet especially if your opening shot is sir francis drake's ring Hmm. so you have to pick one either it's a film about a guy who's a descendant of an explorer who believes in his own fortune Mm -hmm. And destiny, if you will, which is what the game start as, or is it about backstabbing thieves? Because if you start the series with backstabbing thieves, then where does it go from here? Yeah, I just don't get it. No, I agree. And it's like, especially when you think about like you know how good the fourth game does that, where it does that 
a little bit of exploring the wild set piece and then it hard cuts back to his daily retire like borderline retiree life of him snorkeling and such it's like that really captures sort of that indiana jones sort of pushing you know like he's starting to push that uh that 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 first film in that point Mm. where he's starting to consider maybe i'm behind this part of my life but it's and he always gets but, real back in, and that's the thing. That's the fourth game. Yeah. At this point, we know the characters, we know the journeys they've been on. Yeah. I don't really. I. I actually. I'm not opposed to them jumping straight into the the brother stuff. Right. Because that is a really that's an interesting sort of device to get him yeah. on that adventure. It's, it's the personal aspect. It also of the comes journey, back yes. to I know that that that's fourth game sort of inclusion of the brother is a little bit of a wreck. Con. Yeah, he was never mentioned prior. Yeah. Um, they did what they could, but it was a little. So out it's of like, nowhere. look, let's take the film in isolation. It is a really good thing to get him on the bench. I, d- I don't mind Sully withholding the information, but like you said, there's no natural rapport between Wahlberg and, and Holland, and it really goes to show that I really do think both of them require really strong directors to bring out the best in them. Mm. Um, and I don't think. I still, to this point, don't. I haven't seen a film where Holland has stood on his own without a strong director or really good casting. And I actually could argue the same thing with Warburg. And he's in like you know, like I think Boogie Nights is like one of, if not my favorite PTA film. Sure. And he's the main character in it, but he's just well cast and it was well timed. I agree with like, that. Yeah. Um, and it's like, so it's like, okay, well, where else do I go with that? I don't mind Four Brothers. He's in that too. He's okay, but he's he's one of four. Like he's yeah. a, he's in a like. Look, so, I'm not. I'm not saying that neither of these actors can hold their own films. Mm-hmm. You know, I've seen quite a few Tom Holland films. You know, and, you know last year I did the, I, the I like back-to-back. The, I like the fighter, but I think Christian Bale's the reason why I like the fighter. <laughs> well, that almost happened with David O'Russell. He almost directed this. I. I mean, that would have been a mistake too, probably. But I think. Look, I think they can. They can hold their own. They can carry films. I generally believe that. It's just you have this source material that's so rich. Um, with the the style and the atmosphere and the fun and mm. and I'll argue this as well. I think a huge part of the games nobody really talks about is the flirtatious relationship that all of the characters have. I mean, I said earlier that he compliments Sally's ass. It's obviously a joke. Mm. They're not in love. I mean, they, you know, they got a, a father son yeah, sort of bond. A, but a, there's always a flirtatious element to it. In the one of the first things we see in Uncharted Two is Nate and Chloe. They 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 go into bed together, mm. and that's something that's just suspiciously absent in this film. They would much rather have a million jokes about like bartending and like what drinks certain characters would drink and which was just like what? <laughs> I didn't get any of that. Yeah. Like why? A lot of alcohol in this. A lot of alcohol. And like a lot of these scenes are happening in hotel rooms, in bars. I actually think that's in New York so City. What you actually City? nailed there is um, what I find, and you brought it up after we left the film. Also, we have to talk about it. we only had about five of us in the cinema, and it was yes. a good group of people because you were allowed to be a little like, "What's going on?" and no one was too self-conscious about losing too much of the movie. Because let's be real, there's not much. There's, there in there's the first one time where I literally like was laughing and, tr- and like, trying not to be rude and holding in my laughter, yeah. which was a bit of a spoiler. But we'll get into it. I think you've just hit the nail on the head there where the one of the biggest strengths of this gaming franchise, but just even what you could do from a movie standpoint is how dynamic the locations yes. characters go to. And I don't really understand how 
they've missed the point because clearly the games are based off things like Indiana Jones where he goes to an absurd amount of locations. Like, there, you know, in one movie there's a shootout in Venice, like something mm. you never thought would happen. Like, yep. they go to Berlin casually. They go to, you know, like the Middle East casually. They go to Africa casually. It's very clear that set pe- the whole point is we're avoiding things like hotel rooms and stuff like the play. And the fact that there's a literal scene at a resort almost feels insulting to the specific French, like the franchise it's basing itself off. How, like you said, the, 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 why is the auction in New York city, the most, <laughs> the most vanilla ice cream of film locations. Like, like that, it, I mean, even just in that in itself, if they both, if Sully and Drake both live in New York and the first thing they need to get is at an auction house in New York, hmm. How contrived is that? You know what yeah. I mean? I mean, one of the biggest, like, I, I, National Treasure bases itself around the United States, but the intrinsic treasure is catered to the United States. So it's not, a, it's called National Treasure, yeah. for Christ's sake. Like, <laughs> like, it's meant to be about this big mystery in here. But Uncharted's never never shied away no. from going to exotic locations. In, in fact, it prides itself on it. Yeah, you go to, like, Borneo and, and Yemen and bloody... You know, France. The auction house is meant to happen in France yeah. in the in the in the last game, but then and you go to Madagascar. If, if anything, it's just locations. production laziness. That's what it feels like. That yeah. they only wanted to spend so much money, and they didn't want to go to all these locations. Maybe partially to do with a could be the time that the the film was shot. Maybe they in the shot this during COVID. But, but then it's like, then hold off exactly. because we already waited yeah. twelve years. Yeah. So why are we suddenly you know? And then you look at. I mean, you know, obviously science fiction, but think about all the locations they shot for Dune, like Villeneuve's Dune. Yeah. Like, they went from the middle of Norway to the middle of New Zealand to the middle of the desert. Like, they, they didn't care about how much money it was going to cost. They were willing to go to all the places that they required, not for production convenience. Yeah, well, that's it. I, you, you can use COVID as an excuse, but the fact of the matter is they, I think they sh- literally shot one day before they went into that first lockdown, which means the script was penned. It's yeah. not like they wrote the script being like, well, we can only go to so many locations during a COVID outbreak, which when they wrote it didn't exist yet. Yeah. So, so the, they the wrote intention was... the first half of the film just takes place in New York. Which is probably the case <laughs> of a bunch of executive producers or producers going, look, we only want to spend this kind of money on it because we know it's not going to be that great a film. So we're just going to stick our hands up, see how much money we can make off the, the IP. And that's that's the case right there, really. See, I, see, I don't even know if that's it. It's just, it's just laziness of... Just, oh, it all happens in New York. And eventually, yeah, you're going to have to fly out somewhere. Yeah, but, but the fact that it takes so long, it's just so unimaginative. They, they, they fly, they, I mean, the, the fact that they go, it's, it's three locations. It's New York, Barcelona, and the Philippines. Right. That's it. Which, it's like, you know, and they really, the reality is in this 100-minute runtime, they solve one puzzle. <laughs> Think about that. Realistically, there's a heist. There's one puzzle in a cathedral. There's a few, like, riddles. That's, like, it. There's, like, little word game puzzles things that, that Sam sent through envelopes. Yeah. and it, I just, To me, it's, like... But the reality is the riddle's solved with... There's a tree, and then there's a symbol on a church with the tree. One of the most famous cathedrals in Barcelona, too. <laughs> and not, you tell me not a single person that acquired this book and then acquired this. And then it was the whole thing, like, then there's That's contrivances, true. like we talked about, the fact that like Sully Wahlberg Sully doesn't trust Nate so he conveniently takes the right key that they then require to solve a puzzle later on when that dialogue exchange happened of like 
oh, I didn't trust you. All right, well, you hold one key. I'll hold the other. It's like, oh, I you know, you immediately know why they're yeah. going to do that. It's just it's all spelled out. Yeah. yeah, and it's like, and then it's things like them, like, them fighting in a the one of the most hilarious things is like there's that glass that's protecting the keyhole for Sully up on the top thing and he hits a chair against it. Oh, don't get me and started with it's this scene. Plastic, and then at a convenient, you know, he has a fight with Joe and then he shoots the glass and suddenly it's glass. So it goes from being this plastic, I can't break with a yeah. with a chair. Oh, it turned into sugar glass. But it turned into sugar glass when I <laughs> shot it. So it's like okay, well it's not bulletproof. Because it's once again they like to joke about it. It's a Papa John's. Yeah. It's one hundred percent plastic. I'm literally in a Papa John's. And it's like okay, well, so everything about this scene is just infuriating because it's solely trying to create steak for no reason. Well, my look, my problem with this scene is not the glass or the or whatever the hell it's meant to be. <laughs> See, I was actually kind of low key. Oh, this is interesting. I can't think of a moment in any of the Uncharted games. There's moments, say, in Madagascar and Uncharted 4 where, yeah, they have to get into... I think it's a bell tower or a mm-hmm. church of some kind. Yeah, it's populated, but once they get inside, it's like, I guess it's been renovated or so mm-hmm. it's empty. You know, and they have it's a playground for them to play yeah. in. Um, I can't think of a specific example in any of the games where they've actively had to work around people sort of being in there and have to sort of solve a puzzle But how little they secret. cared about the people around them. Well, this is, this is what I'm getting at, is I initially thought, oh, that's cool. That's something slightly different, and it will be fun to see these characters figure out how to solve these puzzles without attracting attention. Mm-hmm. And the Sully I know, who let's let's go up now from the the underground rave party to the Papa John's, of course, because you know we need to mm. get their money in for a sponsorship. He runs in, and the Sully I know would probably light up a cigar, set the smoke alarm. Everyone runs out. He he coolly walks through them and figures out some elaborate way. To get through the glass because you know mm. the uh, the new architecture is being built over the puzzle, which well, again I think that's neat. Yes. Instead, he trashes the table that the couple are eating at, grabs it, and starts smashing it like a lunatic. <laughs> he looks like a he lunatic. goes GTA. He goes, he goes G- GTA. He goes GTA. That. And I actually, I I, I actually <laughs> agree to you because it's what? like to be honest, even to this point if we're talking about even like, you know, let's say we go the, the Saliano, we, let's say we take that, we remove that. But the problem is, okay, so this is the guy that has found this other guy in New York City who's suave at, like, the, they try and out-suave each other in the first bit, sure. like, breaks into the apartment. The fact that his solution in that situation is to go to the Neanderthal, oh, big thing hit big thing. <laughs> like, it's like, that just proves how little they actually knew about the character that even in the confines of their own movie they're portraying like that yeah because it's not just that oh the sully i know wouldn't do that which he wouldn't it's i'm watching this film with no context yeah. of it oh how is this you know experienced treasure hunter this is how he behaves in this situation yeah, like he, how like, do i believe he's experienced and and that's it exactly how do you believe that he's yeah. experienced and it's like and we know he's experienced because when holland breaks into his apartment we see all of these things we see a map that was in a museum that like is worth millions of dollars mm. um for some reason he doesn't have enough money but okay he lives in a corner apartment in new york so it's like whatever <laughs> he's so poor um and i just i like it's like things like you know you, you look at the final the, the one of the like every aspect of this is oh we have to like it's all about preservation and preserving things and then the final like it's literally a peter pan fight it's two mm. <laughs> 16th century pirate ships turning into bumper cars <laughs> and and like now you see, said it's, 
this is the one time when I was like, this would be kind of cool in the game. But even the game would still abide by more laws of physics than they do in this. Rubber man. It's yeah. like, but it's not. It's little things. It's like the fact that you know he works out using Sam's clues with something that's so like set and forget. Like the first bit where he lights up the thing and then only realizes, oh, maybe he's used that secret int that he used last time, like on a <laughs> on a card. But sure. But let's let's ignore that part. He works it out. He learns his his arc is you know he does he gives Chloe the opposite court like coordinates on another thing. Yeah. But then proceeds to even though knowing where Joe at that point is on that island, proceeds to just boat past her and her <laughs> group of thugs who all are on all the beach, see it, yeah. who are like meerkats just watching him on the boat as he's just <laughs> revving it through. There's no subtlety, you know. It's like, And it's like you said, it's like... And not even just the video games, but in normal action adventures, the villains are always one step behind, but there's always a reason they're one step behind, yes. whether it's... Uh, they had to rush out, so they left a clue just enough to keep the like them on the tails. Or there's a betrayal that like keeps like keeps the door open. Like there's always something that justifiably keeps them on the heels. Yeah. Or they're like they're literally just behind them as they've worked out this next clue, so they're able to just follow them simply. Yeah. And like you look at any of the games, and I think of like Uncharted Two. This happens a lot, where you know they they're both sort of both teams. You got the heroes and the villains. They're sort of racing to get to this destination to find this this MacGuffin or this clue, whatever it's going to be to take them to the next thing. And usually what happens is one of a couple of things where, say, you know, Drake and Sully, they find the, you know, the maps or whatever, and they, they use the clues and they figure it out. Oh, great. So, you know, Nate writes it in a notebook. Like, okay, this is what this means. And as they're escaping, you know, say, for example, Chloe, who, again, she does a lot of that sort of flip-flopping in Uncharted 2, but you always know it's a game for the villains. So if she ever puts a gun on Drake, you always know she's still on your side. Mm-hmm. It's just for show. Yeah. The problem is she has to do that when the villains catch up to you know pretend she's on their team. And what do they do? They take a peek at his notebook and see where the next destination and, is. And this is the thing. It, it does come back to that point where it's like... And this this also removes that posing question. Oh, well, why, why don't the villains do it before? Because in this movie, it's like, why does Antonio Banderas not already have both the crucifixes? And all he had to do was go to the bar, like that church, the the, the city that, might I add, he's living in. Um, <laughs> Another contrivance right there. Uh, and it's like he basically has to sit there and wait for them to be in the right spot so then he can rejoin the plot, only to realise that, really, he's got no place in this plot, so we're just going to get rid of him. And then for some reason, Joe suddenly inherits his wealth and is able to just have this fleet of, of all of these tanks and stuff, which we never see, might I add. We see a couple <laughs> of helicopters, but... To our extent, she has a mercenary group of 10, 15 people, mm. which already were working for her and don't need to be on a payroll because it's now about them hunting. The sh- it, there, there's a reason why it makes no sense. And it's like they like it's just confusing. But the fact that they rock up and all he has to do is literally go the other way or through the bush because he knows exactly where to go. And the fact that he propels by and they all just watch him like, oh, he's alive and he's probably going to the treasure and then on top of that, like, the fact that we finally get to this big finale moment, oh. and it's a hole <laughs> in the wall on a small Philippines island in which he goes in, sees light, dives for five meters, and suddenly... a glowing light effect. Two, six, like, six billion dollars worth of, of artifacts just sitting there, and it's like, you know, like... It, 
if I was Spielberg, I would just splutter. Like, <laughs> the fact that it's like, you know, you watch, like, the things like the Holy Grail, where it's like, you know, with the Last Crusade, where it's like, they're not the first to be there. Like, they weren't the yeah. first to work it out, but they're just going to be the, the first the to first survive. first to, like, have the morals of because it becomes that quiz yeah. game. But, yeah, to your point, and I, I just, I laugh with you because... You can argue when they see the tree on the church that, okay, well, you sure many characters have probably gone through this church, but it's like, oh, well, they're the ones with the keys. Mm-hmm. This would be the first set of characters with the keys and the knowledge of what they're looking for and how this ties in sure. you know, to the Philippine island and all that. But to your point with the last one, it's just a hole in a cave with a glowing light shining out and of it. And as we know, there's a resort on this island because that's how we see Nolan North because he's just chilling on the beach. <laughs> I'm surprised he hasn't already gone there. I mean, like, wouldn't that be a fun twist? <laughs> Nolan North are just chilling there. Like, oh, no, I was the here the whole trip. time. Yeah, I figured it out ages ago. But you're telling me not a single person that was either born on that island or some drunk Australian in a Bing Tan t-shirt doesn't just like, <laughs> man, let me just canoe to that. Specificity. No, because it's like the amount of times you see people go to like, especially Australians, go to these... Philippines, Bali, Indonesia and stuff. And they go to all of these big caves and stuff because 100% they're going to be landmarks. Like, it's a really cool feature. Yeah. And you're telling me not a single person saw that light in 300 years and dived under yeah. there? There was no there was no secret key that he had to obtain. There was no nothing like... He literally just went inside this cave in his speedboat, so it's big enough for a speedboat to go through. And, oh, look, there's a glowing light effect over this hole in the wall. Let me go... Oh, six six billion dollars. Sick. How... And then it's... What? And, yeah. And then you can talk about that big action set piece about how there 100% wasn't six billion dollars by the end of that. There was probably barely... <laughs> well, this is the thing. This is the thing. This actually talk. This goes a lot with what we're talking about with the villains, is the Uncharted games usually make a point in, in all of them about two things with the villains. Is one, is that they're incompetent and that a lot of the times that the villains that are like they you know like Lazarevich hires Flynn to help him out so Lazarevich he doesn't really have any experience like treasure hunting mm-hmm. but he's going to hire Flynn who's who's going to be the expert and over and over and over again he's constantly threatening him saying like you know I clearly hired the wrong man for the job you know we've been stuck in Borneo for months and then Drake just comes in and finds it there's a point to it that the the villains are incompetent and that they actually need Drake to find the treasure, and that becomes a bargaining deal later in the mm. game. The other thing is that they don't care about like the artifacts or the preservation of it. And you look at Nadine's army in the fourth game, they're just using dynamite and exploding all these mm-hmm. walls to try and find something. They're just blowing shit up. Yeah. And it's like the movie could have could have constantly referenced these two things. So when they're constantly playing bumper cars with the ships. It's like, okay, well, they're the villains. They're incompetent, and they don't respect the, the historical nature of yeah, these things. But the film doesn't at all. Pro- and, and the problem is you've got two things. You've got Sully's character that's so obsessed with gold to the point where he doesn't care that this yep. stuff's falling apart, which is, you know, our protagonists should be the ones that are like, not going to lie, but not to coin Indiana Jones, but it belonged in a museum. Like, <laughs> it's such an obvious line that says so yep. much. Yep. And it's like, once again, I know that, you know, we're not dealing with the same caliber of, of director as Spielberg, but geez, could find some middle ground between the two. Like, it's not a, it's a line that's so, it says so much. Like, it's about preservation. It's about, like, the mythos comes with the preservation, yes. you know? Like, but it was that over-obsession with money where it's like, like, where I know Nate, and like, their characters in the games, they do want to be wealthy and rich but they also want to be famous and they do value the the treasure there's that nice yeah. well-roundedness of all of it whereas like 
you know, your villain 100% just either wants the fame or just wants the recognition or just wants the money and they're willing to destroy the 400-year-old ship to get the money. Like, but then Joe in this movie goes, oh, I don't want to lose a single penny on these ships and then proceeds to go, I don't mind just... together, yeah. And, I mean, the big one is, like, that moment when Sully and, and... um, Nate successfully managed to hijack one of them, and all they're doing the is helicopter. Quite, the helicopter, and all they're they're ready to yeah. fly off into the sunset. By the way, which never established in this film that Sully can fly a helicopter. I was going to say that never establish it at all. Literally, the first scene in the first game, he rides in with a helicopter and saves our heroes, or not a helicopter, sorry, like a like a small plane. Yeah. So and it's just one of those things that we just have to go off. Fast. Yeah. It's like, oh, I, I guess people just were meant to know yeah. that he can fly helicopters. Oh, cool. Okay. And that's that moment where they both are basically flying away with $3 billion. So both are settled for life. And it's like, <laughs> but she, for some reason, thinks that I'm going to just kill these two people by commandeering. Well, well she says one thing in this scene that actually leads into a very good discussion I want to talk about. She says something to Nathan along the lines of, like, oh, you know, say hi to your brother for me. Now, this opens up the whole can of worms of she killed his brother, the fact that his brother is dead at all, the fact that Sully lied to him for half the bloody movie mm-hmm. about his brother being dead, or not being dead, rather. Um, or well, Now I'm getting bloody confused. Just trying to explain the damn movie. My point is, like, that is a whole can of worms that, just completely destroys Tom Holland's motivation. What? Because what do you actually think Tom Holland's motivation is? Is it to get rich and famous? Because I didn't really get that sense. No, well, the, the second half, well, the first half was about the brother. And after exactly. the brother... It's like, oh, brother, now the brother's dead. It was revenge for um, Nadine. But the fact is, in that scene, the problem is he's not flying the helicopter. So he doesn't go on this blood fuel rage to hunt down... Sorry, not Nadine, Nadine, Joe... Um, doesn't go. He yeah, just dock, he just he's just sitting on the ship, like yeah. surviving really. Um, well, they but, they have the fisticuffs. They do, but but they only have the fisticuff after Nadine loses her ship, and then yeah. But the, but this this is what I'm sorry, getting Joe, at. Joe, jeez, yeah, no, no, it's, it's just Joe. Bra- I don't know where Joe came, but that they only added that this week. The Joe Braddock. That was it. Was just said Braddock mm-hmm. up until now. Um, but yeah, her name's Joe. Interesting. Tati, Tati Gabrielle, which I actually have an interesting fact about her. I'm not actually allowed to know this, but mm. I'm going to say it on the podcast name because I don't care. Spice. Spice. Spicy indeed. Sony, you don't want this out there, but I'm going to tell everyone because that's just the kind of man I am. Um, the fact that the second half, the motivation for our hero, Nathan Drake, is bloodthirsty revenge. Mm. What the hell? What are they talking about? Again, the first shot in this movie is the ring. Mm-hmm. Greatness from small beginnings. Sick Parvis Magna. Oh, but now my brother's dead. Oh, I'm angry. I'm yeah, going to get at her. We have to, we have to emphasize that when he finally does shoot someone, that is a point in the movie they make a point of. Like, he finally do, picks the, up the uh, guns. The actual Uncharted music comes in when he puts the holster on and then he has, like, that quick whip pan when he shoots the guy. Yeah, like, that's, that's a moment. So it's yeah. like... For him to go on a bloodthirst, I'm going to kill him rage, that's big. I mean, we have to, like, and this is the thing, they just don't really remember who their character is because from this point, he's a teenager that was just surviving for the most part and didn't do any acts of violence. He did a bit of problem solving. In fact, he's in, he's actually anti-violence for a good period of film. Like, mm. 
not in an uh, overt pacifism way, but he's just on a general human being level of, I don't really want to shoot people. Or like, I, I'm going to yeah, avoid He throws punches, but yeah, exactly. As much as possible. I mean, like the, the original fight in the auction house, he's more avoiding stuff. And when he and does fight... He gets knocked on <laughs> his ass uh, immediately. Yeah. So, Which, to that point, maybe that's why. It's just because everyone else is bigger than him. <laughs> yeah, stuff it's like shooting people. But it's like, that, even at that moment, all right, because there's only three times where they play any of the actual Uncharted music. <laughs> I want to talk about the music as well. My God. God awful. Some bloody Mission Impossible Iron Man-esque bullshit. When he's bloody looking at the photos of Sam, that's going to be his motivated to go on the journey. And the music's like... Dun, 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 dun. It's like it's like you feel like ex- Sony just looked at its like audio library, saw what was there, and they were just like, "Yeah, this will do." Well, the composer—he's a good composer. He worked on Westworld and all these other things, but he clearly what's what's the what's the TikTok phrase? He didn't understand the assignment. That's it. That's the, that's a young phrase now these days. Mm-hmm. He didn't understand the assignment. You know, he's got this Mission Impossible less music. It makes me feel like oh, he's amping up for a mission when he should be amping up for an adventure. Mm. And that's when the brass horns and everything come in from the actual game soundtrack. And the fact that they only play it three times, one during the Nolan North cameo, which I I actually think is drawing too much attention to itself at that point. I thought it was a bit like, oh yeah, I did that once. It's like, I love Nolan North. I'm glad he's in here. That's all I've wanted out of this bloody movie was Nolan North to get his cameo. So now I can, I can show my picture with him side by side with the, <laughs> the movie screenshot. But, um, and he signed it, Sick Parvis Magna. He's a gentleman like that. Mm. But... They shouldn't play the music there because it draws too much attention to itself. Yeah. The credits, it was nice, but it was just sort of a middle finger of, haha, we've been re- withholding the real music from you this whole time. That actually gets you excited about adventuring. And then, yeah, the other only time is, like you said, sort of the almost a suit-up scene when he puts the gun holsters on mm. and he, he shoots his first... I, I, you're right, that is his first gunshot in the yeah. whole movie. That's insane. I did not think about that. Yeah, I mean, uh, but the problem is it's like it's not valuing that it's like... It, there's so many, like really nifty things they could have explored with this character and they had so much depth that they could pull from and the fact that this is what they pulled from it is like you know you take the casting problems out take all that but the the arc that he has is like you said it's non-existent really like he didn't need to trust anyone he started like the whole thing is he was just kind of calling sully a dick and (laughs) sully stopped being one by the end for a second that was yeah that's what we learned they didn't become really bros they yeah. sort of just survived I'll and give, i guess they're okay i'll give steven friend of the show a shout out he told me he's like when i finished watching that movie it didn't feel like they were good friends like no. we're gonna go into the next film and like i still don't feel like they trust each other fully no. And I think because when he comes up and says, oh, by the way, your brother's dead and I've been lying to you for half the movie, I don't think you can come back from that. Like, yeah. that's a that's a really... That's really messed up. Yeah, and it's, <laughs> it's just like one of... Like you said, there's, there's not that adventure aspect there. And I think that's that's where... Like, like you know, I'm not going to pull on the games, but that's where the games handle it better. The fact that yeah. Nate thinks that because he saw it with his own eyes. Like well, he gets excited about things, you know? And I, yeah. I edited that little 20-second video, which I, I shared to a couple of friends, of the comparison with Tom Holland in the trailers, like, the greatest treasure has ever been found. He just sounds bored. And then you cut to video game I, Nathan I, Drake. I, he's I, so excited about what he's looking at. If we're, if we're going to finish off this sort of, this, you know, 
part of this review. Sure. One thing I have to just emphasize is video game adaptations. The key to success, we've actually started to work it out, is it's got to be a labor of love. It's got to be a passion project, the, particularly in the casting. I think the fact of the matter is the, the adaptations I've seen that work the best whether they get renewed for seasons or not. I think Netflix has actually nailed it the, the best mm. and it's because they've listened to the the actors that have been like, I want to play this. And even like, I would actually argue Disney Plus has done it pretty well with their, some of their Star, their Star Wars shows. Like right, yeah. the fact that they like they listened to Rosario Boba Dawson, Dawson and... being like, I want to be Ahsoka and she loves doing it. Yeah. And is willing and has watched everything and is motivated, not because, oh, give me, it's not a Dave Batista, give me work, give me work, give me work sort of <laughs> mantra. It's, Everything's better when I'm in it. It's, um, <laughs> it's like one of those things, I, I think Cavill's Witcher, it's like, uh, not even a huge fan of like the, the Witcher stuff, but the fact that I enjoy that show and I can clearly see that he adores it and has just learnt everything in and out. And it wasn't because he ever thought, one day I'm going to play Geralt of Rivia. It was. Yeah. No, the opportunity's arisen. Whereas, obviously, the timeline of this 12-year odyssey to get here, yeah. we've just ended up with these two, mostly one flavour of the month actor who, uh, you know, can write, can live very comfortably now because, you know, of his Spider-Man casting. And the other one that, you know, he just sort of picks up work wherever he can get it and gets, you know, decent paycheck. You know, I feel like it's just a Sony payroll film, isn't it, really? Well, of course, and and the shame about it is a lot of the people that I've talked to who don't know the game series and never played it, a lot of them are like, yeah, I'm going to check that Uncharted out. It's got Mark Wahlberg in it, or it's got Tom Holland. Yeah. I'm hearing that, and I'm like, that's why it's got its $100 million back yeah. already, you know? And, and I, I that just sucks, because it's... Like, I don't mind, like, stunt casting to, you know, secure funding to keep it as a series. I don't mind that, as long as the characters have any sort of relate or the actors sorry have any relation to the characters if they're as smart and as witty as as charming and, yeah as the and video it's, game it's not even relation it's even just like putting the effort and research in and it's like i honestly don't feel like these two did i feel like they got told here's a boatload of money these are kind of the characters you're going for you've probably played something like this on a broadway or a play to sort of channel that energy and it, that's sort of what they and it, it, you know it's it actually comes across in a lot of the interviews like you said sure, like so yeah. many of them are so like just rehearsed like they've got their points they know in their head they have to say point one point two point three yeah and then you compare that to well, the only actors. word Tom Holland has ever used to describe the game series is cinematic 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 it's cinematic it's very cinematic no other adjectives no other words nothing yeah and that's that's it and it's like I don't I'm not going to critique him as a person for not playing the video games but it's it's his due diligence as an actor to go out of his way to actually learn what he's going to play. Yeah. And I really, this is why fundamentally people like him, I'm not the biggest fan of because I don't think they are like, that's what I think separates a good actor, like from an, an average actor is those ones that take it that step further, you know, and actually learn how to immerse themselves in a character, not to a, a point of, of risking mental health or anything like that, but just like generally, just like uh, well, playing role. Nathan Drake should not pose as a as a threat. If no. anything, the version of Nathan Drake he plays in this movie, the bloodthirsty, I'm gonna kill her <laughs> for killing my brother. That is more like what what like dem- I can't even think of a word like demonic or or evil than mm. anything that Nathan Drake in the games does. Like the the idea with the games, and again, this is why I get worried because they keep referring to Uncharted Four. 
And I'm like, I'm sorry, you need to look at the first one. You need to look at the archetypes, what these characters originally were before they developed into more complex characters, where we started dissecting the obsession behind, you know, the fortune and the fame that Nathan Drake is trying to chase after. Mm-hmm. And the and the, the third and fourth games are all about him realizing he has a family in, in Sully and Elena and all of that. Uh, and that it's not rewarding that he will find a treasure and he just doesn't it, he doesn't feel satisfied. Mm-hmm. And that's the journey that those several games took to yeah. get to that point. And this one's trying to be a mixed match of all of it. It's taking the plot of the fourth game, the set pieces of the third game, the themes of the second game, and mashing them into an origin story that just doesn't make any sense. Jake, do you have a highlight scene? I was... <laughs> like I said, I like that first shot. Even though I think fundamentally you shouldn't have any... I like meaning. a shot. <laughs> I like one shot. Um... Like I said, I do like the shot. I just I think the problem is the first Uncharted didn't have an immediate res scene. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a very specific reason for that. Um, although, to be fair, it is very Uncharted-like to open the film like that. I agree, but not for your first one. The other thing, again, I like the idea of them having to solve a puzzle in public with a bunch of people and, and like ravers and dancers and everything. Like, I like the idea behind it, but then Sully just is just a, a absolute lunatic and destroys mm. a Papa John's <laughs> for no reason whatsoever. Um, that is the closest I can get to any sort of <laughs> highlight scene in this movie. I'm sorry. I hated it. What about you, Zeke? Yeah, this was honestly probably the first movie we've done on the podcast that was like... I don't know if there's anything in this movie I actually like. I'm going to go with Antonio Banderas' death scene. (laughs) (laughs) Now, that is the scene I could not stop laughing. Because he just, out of nowhere, mid-monologue, just gets his throat slit. And the camera keeps cutting back to his dead body. And I just laughed every... And then Drake and Sully find the dead body and they cut to it more times. (laughs) The only thing that could have made it better is if he'd, like, kept twitching. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but yeah, I'm going to go with what that simply because the there uh, there actually is anything that is remotely like, oh, that's not bad, is immediately ruined by something in the exact same that scene. Like the sure, fact that yeah. the postcards are the thing that solves everything and it's like postcards solved everything. Can we just point that out? If you're going to um, leave half the clues in the movie to be like delivered from older brother Sam, you can't have him supposedly die or be revealed to be dead halfway through the movie which by the way that was the stinger at the end is that he's in jail he's still yeah, alive and not, to, not to mention that apparently he died on the precipice of working out where it was if wouldn't what does the precipice of working out where it is like how did Wahlberg not know it was in the Philippines right at that yeah. point like what what on earth like unless what was Sam the... was like backstabbing Sully, but then why would he give him his younger brother's information to find him? It just and it's it, it really makes no sense because if you think about that, right? And this is where it falls apart. I'm going to finish with this. This is final... where it falls apart. This is the biggest. <laughs> so he puts the light on, works out due to the coordinates where the treasure is based off a postcard that Sam gave him. Right? Sure. That means at that point, because Sully knew there was only one clue he was missing, he would know it was in the Philippines. Because the only thing they didn't know was the coordinates on that island. Right. Which means all so of why the why did they Sully, go to the auction? Why did they do all that? Yeah. yeah. Especially since there's no there's no final puzzle. There's just a dive hole and that's it. <laughs> uh, you, what, you're telling me Sully couldn't spend a week in the Philippines, work out where this 
six billion dollar treasure is. It's the dumbest adventure movie I have ever watched, and I'm like, there's a there's a there's a plethora of movies that could be dumb in this movie. This movie is the dumbest movie I've watched this year so far, and probably will be for the rest of the year. And I just want to say as well, you have so it's the treasure of Magellan, of course. Supposedly, the first person to sail around the world. Of course, they talk about how he actually didn't complete the journey, mm-hmm. and that's sort of how they knew he was towards the Philippines. So that's another clue right there. You're right. Why didn't they just go there in the first place? But unless you know, they made a point if they have to backtrack the clues, mm. which they didn't make a point. They spend less time in New York that way. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. But this is the problem: is well, it's not it's not the biggest sin in the movie. It's I knew they were going to do this. It's whatever, but it's also still a shame because the games. And especially the amount of research that Amy Hennig went into every single treasure that they were looking into. You know, El Dorado, which is meant to be a famed city that turned out to just be a golden statue, essentially. And then you got Shangri-La, you got Arama, the Pillars, um, obviously Libertalia in the fourth game. Like, you got all of these different sort of um, mysteries, well, not even mysteries, but like these legends that they have mm-hmm. to find. And what's great is that as they go on the journey, they learn so much about the story of, you know, Sir Francis Drake or Henry Avery or all these people that they're following and they have their own backstory. And especially, I will give credit to Uncharted for what's due, the Henry Avery story that we're seeing... So good. Just, yeah, just through notes and through finding skeletons on islands. Brilliant. It is so brilliant. It is an entire story on its own within the main plot of Uncharted 4. Mm. And this one is, hey, here's a guy who sailed around the world and that's it. <laughs> this is true. Uh, now, before we move on to the next segment of the show, I will reveal the super secret information I was informed of. Spicy. I, I, of course, will not talk about who told me this, how I learnt this, mm. but this is something that I found out very recently, and I think it kind of shows in the movie. Okay. I think it kind of shows. So, originally, Tati Gabrielle, who, of course, plays sort of the mercenary mm. villain role in this was originally cast as Elena Fisher. And at the last second, Sony decided to change their mind. That's a card we can deal with later in a potential sequel. Mm-hmm. We can we can keep Chloe away for now. And they just changed her character. To a villain. Yeah, to some random new villain that we never <laughs> heard of. And I have it on authority that Tati Gabrielle was not very happy about this change. As you can imagine. Yeah. Because <laughs> her character's kind of nothing. Yeah, well, well, she was going to play Elena in an Uncharted movie. <laughs> and now you're playing mercenary chick yeah. who gets crushed by a giant treasure boat. Yes, so dumb. Uncharted is currently out in cinemas <laughs> near you. Please go do see it. Go you see it. Do yeah. not watch it. <laughs> Speaking of cinemas, Jake, what's on your cinemas and streaming platforms this week? I'll start with streaming as the per use. Uh, it's a bit of a lighter week. This is actually a really interesting week. There's a lot of things going on. Mm. Not necessarily new, new films, but there's a lot going on, so I'll get started. Uh, if you're looking at Stan this week, you've got films like Counterpart, which stars J.K. Simmons. You've got the 1983 film Koju. Uh, Kujo? Kujo. It's Kujo. Kujo. Stephen uh, King adaptation right there. You've also got Without a Paddle, Primal Fear, Aeroplane, and its sequel. We did Aeroplane. We did. Quite a while back now. Um, and Babel, all released throughout the week. Mm. If you look over at Disney+, Plus, you have The King's Man, so that's the prequel. Comes to Disney Plus this week, so very nice. Looking forward to that. Might check it out now that it's there. Um, you've also got an original film called No Exit, which sees a young woman become stranded in a motorway rest stop during a blizzard and discovered a kidnapped girl in a van. This leads her down a path to investigate the identity of the kidnapper. That's pretty cool. That sounds interesting. 
That's yeah. a clever movie. So that's coming to Disney Plus. Coming to Prime this week, we have Ready Player One, Hitman's Wife's Bodyguard, Old, which that's pretty recent from, um, what's his name again? <laughs> Shyamalan. Shyamalan, that's it. Thank you. Shyamalan and Ding um, And uh, shockingly, this is the one I was referring to earlier, Spencer is already on Amazon Prime. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. So curses, of course, this is the Kirsten Stewart film. Uh, we also have one last film called One Night Off, which is a 24-year-old, which, hey, that's us. Look at that. Uh, a music enthusiast look after his baby overnight for the first time. Seems like a bit of a, a fun, quirky night mm. out sort of thing. I don't know why a 24-year-old was important. I guess, you know, he's a young adult. He's not a teenager, but, mm. you know, he would have a child at this point. That's not too crazy. Yeah, We don't, we don't have children. Just- no, no. But my knowledge, no. Oh no. <laughs> Let's move on from that one. Coming to binge this week, we have Driving Miss Daisy, Salt, uh, Snake Eyes, GI Joe Origins. Yeah, Snake Eyes. Right. Cool. And oh, look at that. Old again. So if you have Prime or binge, you're going to old this week. Mm. And finally, coming to cinemas, we have Cyrano, which sees Peter Dinklage. You mentioned him earlier as the titular character in this musical play adaptation. We're falling for Figaro, which is now back at Luna after I think it's come in and out for like festivals and stuff, but is now playing again. We also have the Surfing Doco Facing Monsters, which I've mentioned before in the past, is also playing at the outdoor cinema this week. Uh, they also have a screening of a black and white version of Nightmare Alley this Thursday, the 24th at Luna. That sounds pretty nifty. I know. So, much like Parasite a couple years back, they have a black and white version. I haven't seen it yet. I will probably still watch is that it. That Luna Leaderville? I think so, yes. I just wrote down Luna, but... Okay. Um, it probably would be Leaderville. Yeah, I might want to check that. So it's Thursday the 24th. It might just be a one-time screening. For sure. Um, but I really enjoy the black and white version of Parasite. Um, but I still prefer the coloured version because it's just that film just looks amazing. Anyway, if you're feeling like going to Hoyt's this week, they're doing a 50th anniversary screening for The Godfather this Friday the 25th. And finally, Flicker Fest is on this week at the Camelot Outdoor Cinema with Australian shorts playing on Thursday the 24th, international shorts on the 25th, and the Shorts Laughs comedy screening on Saturday the 26th. So there you go. You get a bit of variety there. Nice range. Yeah. But you, you see what I mean? Like This week it's a lot of re, re-screenings, anniversary screenings, black and white screenings, film festivals. Mm. It's a weird week. Yes. Well, but, yeah. we're not catching any of those next week on the show, Jake. <laughs> no, but, not. Jake, what are we watching? Next week on the show, Zeke, we're watching Come On, Come On. To visit planet Earth, you will have to be born as a human child. And first you'll have to learn to use your new body. To move your arms and legs, you will learn to walk and run. To use your hands to make sounds and form words. There will be so much for you to learn and so much for you to feel. Sadness, joy, disappointment, and wonder. You will grow up, travel, and work. Over the years, you will try to make sense of that happy, sad, for always shifting life you're in. And when the time comes to return to your star, it may be hard to say goodbye to that strangely beautiful world. Damn this book. You're crying. No, I'm not. Yes, you are. 
You're definitely crap. See, you're crap. <laughs> Johnny and his young nephew forge a tenuous but transformative relationship when they embark on a cross-country trip to see life away from Los Angeles. When I say that, I think of the guy who says Los Angeles in Big Fat Liar. Welcome to Los Angeles. <laughs> I'm excited. Me too. I'm very excited for this. Yeah. Got Joaquin Phoenix. It'll be nice to dive into possibly the biggest snub for the award season. Yes, it's absolutely zero nominations, according to this Oscar ballot piece of paper from the ABC, um, which I'm very disappointed in. But from, I've heard nothing but immaculate things. It sounds like this year's Minari in terms of just being nice and wholesome and sweet. We could use a bit of wholesome and sweet after the mm. sour taste this movie That's we've true. watched left in their mouth. Yes. But until then, thank you for joining us for the Cinema Sideshow Podcast. I was Zeke. I was Jake. And I'll catch you next week, or we'll catch you next week. With what? Uh, you're kicking me off? <laughs> no! With Come On, Come On. Come on, Zeke, don't do this to me. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>